Thanks for tuning in to the Crew at UGA podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Crew exists to call students to know God, grow in their faith, and go to the world. If you would like to get more connected with Crew at UGA, or if we can help you in any way at all, go to the show notes and click on the link, or follow us on Instagram at Crew at UGA. All right, let's get started. Good evening. Great to see all you guys here. My name is Alan. I'm otherwise known as uh, Crew Daddy. I don't mind that nickname, it's fine. Um, although, recently somebody gave me the nickname Master Ugwe. I think that's been going on. Right. I'm not... I uh, am the, one of the, the staff who gives leadership to Crew here on the campus. And I'm um, very excited to see you guys. If you weren't here last week when I got up and kind of introduced myself, I have been at UGA for 11 years. Um, I'm still not graduated. Yeah. Terrible joke. Um, I've actually been with crew for 35 years. I've been here in Athens for the past 11. I love my job because I get to be with you guys every day. And it's really great. Um, and one of the things I do love to do is I love to get up here, love to, to bring the word on the nights that I do that. And tonight... We are starting a new series. Sometimes as, as we go on Tuesday nights, we'll do three or four weeks in a series. And the series that we are starting tonight is called But God, which is a little bit of a strange name. However, it's a really great series, I think. The place this name comes from is, is this idea. There are a number of Bible verses, passages in the Bible that have this phrase, but God, dot, dot, dot. God, dot, dot, dot. And it tells us something about God. And this, this idea, these, these passages that come up over and over again, kind of highlight how God is different from us and different from our expectations, that we might think one thing about God, and yet he's actually different and surprises us. And he's, he's wonderful beyond anything that we could imagine. We would think of God as one way, but God is different than we expect. We look at our lives and our circumstances one way, but God changes things. And so we're going to start tonight by looking at one of those passages and just kind of introducing ourselves a little bit to who is God? What is he like? How do we know him? And if you're a person who maybe you're not as familiar with this whole God thing and you're kind of new, Wonderful. Welcome to Crew. Glad you're here. I think this is a great place for you to be, and this is a great place for you to hear about who this God is that we love so much. And so tonight, we are going to take a look at a passage that has this phrase in it and teaches us something. And tonight, this passage is from the Old Testament. It's from Psalm 86. I'm going to read a little portion of this psalm. It's going to be up here on the screen. If you have a Bible with you, you're welcome to turn there if you want. But here's what this passage in Psalm 86 says. The psalmist cries out and he says, Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am devoted to you. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. If you skip down to verse 14, 
He then goes on and says, The arrogant are attacking me, O God. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, men without regard for you. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me. Have mercy on me. Grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Whew, that's a pretty emotional outlay right there. That's a pretty, pretty heartfelt, earnest supplication going out to the Lord in those words. Now, this is the first but God passage that we're going to pull up. And you can see where that is. It's in verse 15. In verse 15, he says, but you, O Lord, but God. And then the psalmist teaches us something. Now, look at the psalm. When you read one of these, when you read a psalm, you often get the context from what the writer is saying and asking. Now, in this case, we can kind of see that the writer is in great anxiety. He describes himself as poor and needy. He cries out, guard my life. So he must feel unsafe. He must feel like he has, he has arrogant people who are attacking him. So this is not a comfortable place where this writer is. And in the midst of all of this, as he lays it all out, he pivots with this phrase. And he says, but God, but you, O oh Lord. And then he states something about God that is going to change everything. What is that? It's this phrase right here. He says, but you, O oh Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That is the sentence that he calls to mind in the midst of all that's going on with him. In the midst of his anxiety, he says, but. Now, this statement about God with which he encourages himself is actually very important. It's actually a very central statement about God that appears in the Bible. So this isn't some random idea he kind of came up with. This is actually quite foundational to understanding who God is. And let me show you why. Verse 15, this statement right here is actually a quote or a paraphrase from a very important passage in the Old Testament in the history of Israel, God's people that he revealed himself through. And any good Jewish person would know this phrase and would know where it came from. They would immediately recognize it. And it's said a number of times, but let me show you the headwaters of the river, as it were, the first place it comes up. It comes up in this passage in the book of Exodus early on when God is talking. And this is what the passage says. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Now, here we are seeing God talking about how he overflows in loving kindness. But we have to understand something to understand this passage when it talks about how God overflows with mercy and loving kindness like the psalmist is alluding to. 
And in order to do this, we'll have to explain this. First off, do you recognize this passage? Do you know where it's from? I'm going to be impressed if you do, but I bet some of you do. It's from a very important foundational part of the Bible. You've heard of the Ten Commandments, right? This is the second commandment. This is why any good Jewish kid who grew up in Shabbat school would know this. It says you shall not make for yourself an idol in anything in heaven above. But it says the Lord is a God that pours out his love on the generations. How does that relate? What is he trying to explain? Here's the thing. God wants us to know him and to understand who he is and what he's like. So we want to understand what this teaches us about God. Now, you'll notice this is a little different than the passage we read in the Psalms because the Psalms only includes a part. But here, God describes himself this way. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the father to the third and fourth generation. Now, that's kind of a strange phrase. That doesn't sound very fair, does it? Wait a minute. I thought we were talking about good things about God here. How, how is this good? We need to understand what this means because it sounds like God is punishing some people for things they didn't do. But that's actually not the case. What you are seeing in this passage is something called numerical emphasis. This is a Hebrew writing style. It's one of the ways that they would write poetry and that they would get meaning across. We have lots of figurative language devices in English. Well, this is one in Hebrew. And the numerical emphasis uses numbers that count up or down to try to draw your attention to a point. For instance, let me show you a couple more of these in the Old Testament just so you can kind of see how it is. For instance, here's one in Proverbs that has some numerical emphasis. This is Proverbs 6. And in Proverbs 6, is that going to be on there? Can we get that? Slide missing. There it is. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Now, you've heard of the seven deadly sins. There's movies, there's books written with that title and stuff. Actually, that comes from this passage in Proverbs because this little section lists seven things that the Lord hates. But the way it introduces it is with this sentence. It says, there are six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven. And that doesn't literally mean, oh, there's six. And then the writer says, oh, no, wait, I miscounted. There's seven. That's not what he's saying. What he's trying to do is trying to draw your attention to it, that these seven things are important. Pay attention. There's six, even seven things. Listen to the seven things. See, that's what numerical emphasis does. It kind of counts up to say, pay attention to this. Here's another example. This is from Ecclesiastes. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, While I was still searching but not finding, but not finding, I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. I was wondering if I'd get awkward laughter after that, but I'm not getting any. Instead, like every woman in the audience is glowering at me right now. What is this? What does this mean? I put this up here because sometimes it gets a rise out of people, but actually... Guess what? This verse has nothing to do with men and women. That's not the point at all. This is numerical emphasis. This is a, a literary device. You can see what the, song, the writer is doing. He's saying, I'm looking for an upright person. And then I found one. No, I just found zero. He's saying, I found one man. I found zero woman. In other words, men, women, one. No, zero. I can't even find anyone who is completely righteous on the face of the earth. So that's what the verse really means. It's just this, this literary device that teaches us the emphasis, right? This is how he's trying to make a point. 
Now follow me. Go back to this second commandment verse that we were looking at. It says, "Us God, which means he loves and cares for his people. He doesn't want them to follow anyone else. They're his. And he says he's just. He's a just God punishing the children for the sin of the fathers. Do you see it? To the third and fourth generation. It's not a literal description of generations. It's numerical emphasis. He's saying, I am so just. I am so perfectly just that any injustice that a person practices, I will not let that go, even if the echoes of it reverberate to the third and fourth generation, even if it lasts beyond him. I am so perfectly just. There is not even one little bit of injustice that I will tolerate or that will get by me. Now, this is actually very good news. You want God to be this way. We don't like things that are unjust, right? And if you think you have a question about that, think of it this way, if I may be so bold. Imagine your sister or your best friend got raped. And at the trial, the judge looked at the rapist and said, you know, whatever, no big deal. You know, that's fine. We'll just forget it this time. How would you feel about that? Mm-hmm. See, you have a sense of justice. You want justice to be done. Any God who would be unjust and would not pursue things being right, that's not a God you want to follow. And God says here, I am perfectly just. That's how just I am. And now we get to the next numerical emphasis. Look at the next sentence that he says describing himself. But, verse 6, I am a God showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my command. Now what's the numerical emphasis doing? Three or four generations in justice. A thousand generations when it comes to love and mercy. Do you see it? What is God like? God is such a lover of people. God is so merciful. God is so kind. He abounds in loving kindness. His love for us is so undescribable that even though he's perfectly just, his mercy outweighs it 300, 400, 500, 1,000 times. That's what God is trying to get across. This is who I am. I am a merciful God. And so when the psalmist in Psalm 86 is quoting this, this is what he has in mind. Now, no, this is an Old Testament passage. I can't tell you the number of times I have conversations with people and they make a comment about how the God of the Old Testament is the God of vengeance and the God of the New Testament is the God of love. No, this is an Old Testament passage and he's talking about how his love is a thousand times greater, right? One of my favorite authors recently is Andrew Wilson, who's a pastor of Christ Church in London, and this is what he says about God's love and justice. Much as we would like to, we cannot wriggle out of this by saying God is just sometimes and merciful sometimes. Yahweh shows mercy because he is a God of justice. Moreover, this proclamation of mercy and justice is part of the revelation of Moses of Yahweh's name, which we just saw. Both mercy and justice, as much as they seem opposites, are eternally part of his character. So if we see a contradiction between the two, we have misunderstood something. What makes God so special? 
Can you go back to Psalm 86 slide for me? What has the writer learned? The writer of Psalm 86 has learned this about God. He read Exodus. He read Deuteronomy. Read all those passages and he knows God. And he has learned that he can say confidently, I have enemies attacking me. I have anxiety. I have pressures. I am needy. I am unsafe. But God... What happens when I bring him in? And what that passage in Exodus teaches him is that, but God is slow to anger. <clears throat> he is so patient with my weakness that he will not condemn me. Or the second, but God is gracious and compassionate. He sees me and he cares. He'll be gentle with me. But God abounds in love. He will respond to me in my need. But God abounds in faithfulness. He will not change. He is the same tomorrow, today, yesterday, and I can depend on him. Do you see why we crew like following this God so much? A God of mercy that abounds in love and kindness of whom all these things is true. In the midst of the hardship and trouble and the pain and the anxiety of this world. That we have this God. He changes everything. So listen. You may have a certain expectation of God that is not right. You may have a certain conception of him. Which is misinformed by some past hurt. You may feel like some circumstance in your life is unrescuable. But God defies all of that. So how do we, how do we put this into practice? What do we do with this, this picture of a merciful God that abounds in love more than we can even describe? Well, if you're a person who knows God, you're invited, you're even commanded to trust what God reveals about his character here. And you are welcome to approach him because he is slow to anger and he is abounding in love and faithfulness. He sees you and he wants to love you well. And you can let him. You don't need to be afraid. You can approach this God. And if you're a person who doesn't really know him or, or maybe you're looking at this and so this idea of God is kind of new and strange to you. I think the word for you is this. Yahweh shows mercy to the guilty by, <clears throat> we think, how shall I say this? We think Yahweh shows mercy to the guilty by suspending his justice, just forgetting about it, kind of waving it off. But actually, it's better than that. Because God is perfectly just, he actually shows mercy to us, the guilty, by carrying out his justice on someone else. In that way, his justice is perfect, but his mercy is grand. And what I'm talking about is the story of Jesus. Jesus, as a lot of you know, is a human being who lived on earth. He was God in the flesh. And he showed God to us, revealed him to us face to face. But in the act of dying on the cross, what was really happening there is those of us who could not stand before a just God were pardoned. Now, I don't know about you. 
But when I hear the news that a God, that our God is perfectly just to the third and fourth generation, that scares me. Because I don't want to stand in front of a God like that. I can't stand in front of a God like that. I know I have too much evil in my life to ever be declared innocent in that court. But God pours that justice out on Jesus Christ who dies as a substitute in my place, in our place. And in that way, he abounds in mercy and loving kindness to us, calling us into a relationship to himself that we don't deserve. That's the fact that the psalmist says changes everything. In the midst of everything, God pours out his mercy because he is that kind of God. If that's kind of news to you, and you have questions about that, you know that card that they hand, had you hold up a minute ago? There's a box on there, and it says, maybe kind of new to the whole God thing, but I wouldn't mind a conversation. We would love to talk to you more about that. We'd love to explain more what that's about and how God is like that and why that's so important. Because he is that kind of God. A God who abounds in love and faithfulness, slow to anger, rich in mercy. And he's amazing. So pray with me. Lord, forgive us when our eyes are clouded by um, the things around us. When the world is too great for us and we lose perspective. Lord, thanks for your word that gives us the perspective that you are with us and that your love and your mercy toward us can change anything, even what is unrescuable. I just praise you, Lord, this passage where the psalmist puts his eyes on you and sees you for who you are and it changes everything for him. I love that passage. I love that you are that kind of God. I love that we can, can see you with that perspective that we can know you that you have poured your mercy out on us and that you are a God who is good and cares for us <clears throat> Lord I, I pray that um, I somewhere here tonight there are at least a couple of people who are in the position of that psalmist and life is too much and it's too big perhaps they even have enemies people that are opposing them Lord, I pray that you would insert yourself for them, that you would show that you are a God of mercy and compassion, slow to anger, rich in love, and that that would pour out on their lives and change them. Lord, I pray for us that we would be able to see you clearly and rightly as you describe yourself in your word, that you are a God who is perfectly just, and yet we do not need to fear because you have been a thousand times more merciful. We praise you and we thank you that you have done that for us. So tonight... Have our worship. We love you. Amen.